Welcome to the PH Journals podcast, where we explore hunting, wildlife management, and conservation. As hunters and conservationists, we know that hunting can be a powerful tool for wildlife conservation, generating revenue and promoting healthy ecosystems. Join us as we explore the latest research, interviewing experts and practitioners, and sharing stories from the field. Whether you're a hunter or conservationist, or simply interested in learning more about this somewhat controversial topic. Hi, my name is Dylan Love. I'm a professional hunter out of the southern tip of the dark continent. Join us as I believe hunting is our best conservation tool we have to offer. Hey guys, and yeah, I'm back. <laughs> it feels like forever that I sat in the studio, yeah. And um, yeah, but it's been a, a busy pre-season as well as a busy first couple of weeks in the season. Um, we've had some exciting new developments that have happened. And yeah, I can't wait to share it with you guys. Before we get into the podcast this week, a uh, big shout out to two of the very, one of my very biggest supporters and and two brands that I'm extremely proud to be a part of. Uh, firstly, Scully's. Um, guys, these guys are changing the game for sure. And although they don't base themselves directly on taxidermy, it is a unique and wonderful way that you guys can get your skulls back beforehand. Um, and if your wife or partner doesn't enjoy uh, the big mounts hanging off the wall, you know, you can have yourself a 3D printed um, miniature scale. Uh, skull and still get to talk about the wonderful memories and fantastic hunt you have back down in South Africa or wherever it may be. Um, the the skull range is expanding at a rapid rate and some really interesting and unique skulls are coming out. So yeah, hit them up. <clears throat> I'll put the link in my bio. If you guys don't know where to find them, head along to any one of my social media platforms and you guys will find them out there. And then last, of course, but not least, uh, Splitting Image Taxidermy. Guys, these guys have done some wonderful artistry down there in South Africa. Probably the best taxidermy um, organization in South Africa. Um, I love working with them. Doug, Warwick, uh, Morgan, everyone. The whole team is just it's such a breeze to work with. Their trophy collection is on point. Uh, the tagging system is out of this world. And really, it is. It's all about... Um, perfection with them and you know as a professional hunter i have the peace of mind that once my client stuff gets there and i've always said this before that our job as a professional hunter is not done until that trophy is hanging up on your wall uh, whatever it may be skull mount shoulder mount pedestal flat rack we need to make sure that that it's done efficiently and done correctly with the correct amount of communication and me being a ph splitting image is by far the best company i've ever had to deal with in my 13 years in this industry so yeah big shout out to splitting image taxidermy so guys yeah like mentioned before um it's been a rather interesting couple of weeks uh, i do apologize that i haven't been on yet as much as what i would have liked to um but things kind of caught me off guard in a good way <clears throat> um yeah sorry um i've still got a bit of a sinus issue at the moment so if i'm sounding a little bit blocked on the on the mark i do apologize firstly once again i would just like to highlight um that we will not be posting podcasts anymore on youtube 
Uh, we will be posting shorter versions of the podcast to hopefully entice a lot of people to come over to the main platforms like Spotify, Google Play, uh, podcasting, iTunes, all that sort of stuff. Um, because that, you know, ultimately that's where we're gaining a, a lot of traffic um, through the social media uh, side of things. And and for me personally, it's, um, you know, we, we want to try and maximize our our reach um it you know again guys i don't get paid for any of this i just do it out of passion and conservation and i really just want to share my knowledge with you guys that i get to you know that i have experienced over my past couple of years um so the 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 larger amount of reach that i have would be greatly appreciated so if if you guys do our regular watches on the youtube channel um, firstly, I do apologize, but if you feel that it is me that we can grow, please hit me up um, personally. Uh, I would love to have the discussion with you guys and actually just find out the thought process behind it. Um, but for us right now, um, on the main platforms and through my hosting server, it seems a lot more uh, better to do the hosting, uh, sorry, to do the launching of the podcast just through the main, uh, main streams of podcasting. Yeah, so like I said, just once again, thank you so much to everyone that's supported me. It's a very, very special um, time for me. You know, we, we generated over a million followers, a uh, million downloads, sorry, at the start of this year. And it's just been growing at a rapid rate. Um, and the support has been out of this world. So thank you so much to everyone that is tuning in, that is, you know, doing their little bit, uh, sharing uh word of mouth whatever it may be it really is helping and at the end of the day like i said we're just like-minded hunters that are here to look after our wildlife and that's what the whole purpose of this podcast <coughs> um platform is so yeah guys um like i said interesting pre-season uh, i did my rounds as a scouting so those of you that don't know I am in partnership with uh, Utando Safaris. If you guys haven't yet, you guys may want to go and hit them up uh, on social media or on their website, www.utandosafaris.com. Uh, the website is down at the moment. So I know they are going through um, some renovations and upgrades and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and, you know, um, we went into the partnership with this whole thing based on the fact that we're going to base our our safari company as an experience-based safari company. We didn't want to just have um, the killing of animals and all that sort of stuff as our focal point. We decided that we were going to base it on experience um, because South Africa is just such a wonderful country to have so many wonderful experiences through. And um, yeah, like I said, I've had to do a little bit of preseason work, heading out, going to see um, contacts, uh, safari companies that we could hopefully utilize uh, as far as, you know, giving you guys a full um, experience through, you know, going to the Addo Elephant Park, shark cage diving, bungee jumping, that sort of stuff. So we've been hard at work at doing that. It's been a massive success and um, yeah, thoroughly enjoying the process. Um, although we're not doing the volumes that I've always been used to, um, it is still very intimate and um, unique. It really is a unique way of doing a safari. And I'm very, very fortunate to be involved with such a fantastic company with conservation at the heart. So, yeah, it's been a, a wild ride. I've just finished a 10-day safari with Jose. Um, interesting fact, somebody questioned me on, on social media why um, I never posted any photos with him in it. 
Um, it's not that he was ever against hunting or anything like that or, or against him showing his face. It's just, unfortunately, the European countries, um, since the UK have put a ban on the trophy hunting, uh, the European countries have actually um, been a little bit more delicate in how they've approached this whole thing. So when Jose came out, yeah, we did take a lot of photos with him in it. Um, and I'm hoping at some stage he'll, you know, the whole thing will die down and we'll get to show his face because, you know, it's something you need to be proud of. I mean, the achievements that that guy achieved in his very, very first safari was out of this world. And, um, you know, going from Cape Buffalo on his dream list was never on the on the package initially. But when he saw that bull, he was just like, I need you. I need to hunt this bull. And um, yeah, we had a great time. Really, really great time. We went from one end of the of the Eastern Cape uh, province to the other. Uh, we saw the Indian Ocean. Um, we saw the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so, yeah, it was <clears throat> it was such a unique way of dealing with things and um yeah, what a wonderful guy, wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, the Spanish clients of mine that I've normally had in the past can be a little bit difficult, but Jose took it in his stride, and boy, what an experience that we have, just interblending our, our cultures and, and um, our religions and, and just, you know, our beliefs, you know. Um, one thing that I did take from it, no matter where you are in the world, if you are a hunter, you speak the same language, and you know, that's such a unique and passionate way to see things because, you know, although, I'm, uh, you know, the language barrier was never an issue because Jose's English was, was really, really good. Um, but, you know, just, just the way he considered things. Um, you know, in the past we had um, clients come out and want to blow the the pants off of everything, you know. Um, you know, facacheros, uh, the, the warthogs, you know, they, that was... <clears throat> that was for me a little bit of a of a dampener on the Spanish uh, industry uh, because of how many pigs that they want to kill and, and and actually going over there and hunting doing the Montreal and stuff like that I actually realized um, how important killing pigs really is in this in the Spanish uh, side of things so it's easy to see how they translate that over into South Africa but Jose just took it in his stride and he really just dived into things and realized that you know it's not it's not the same country and a, and a facchero is not exactly the same as what their facchero is so yeah you know um very very special moments like i said you got a beautiful beautiful cape buffalo um the first day pretty much unheard of um we head out and it's freezing cold we all layered up and i'm not expecting to to layer down until about 10 o'clock in the morning um so we're sitting in the in the shadowy um depths of this of this quite a steep perch in the mountains and we're just sitting there glassing my hands are freezing you know um we're just glassing 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 and right beneath us about a hundred and something yards i think it was about 120 um your scooter bull starts moving into the sun and although the rat is kind of in full swing at the moment um you can spot them a mile away when they sway their horns through the sunny uh, acacia trees because, you know, they, they glitter in the sun like that. And when he started waving through those trees, we knew that that bull was, was definitely a shooter. Um, the unique thing about a kudu, I just feel, especially in the Eastern Cape, uh, there's so many different shapes to him. So this one had the, the typical figure eight shape. Uh, you get kudu bulls that flare. You get kudu bulls that finish straight up, um, ivory tips. There's, there's a whole bunch of characteristics. But ultimately, you want to look for those old bulls um, that 
are going to, you know, chase the younger guys off, off the breeding stock. Um, and you want to try and do as best as what you possibly can for conservation. You know, so after sussing, uh, sussing out our situation, we realized that that bull was definitely in his past his prime and he needed to be taken out and Jose, you know i <laughs> i was getting buck fever for him i mean it was yeah it was nerve-wracking um because an opportunity like that especially on your first day of your very first safari in south africa doesn't often come around and then let alone be a, a kudubul i was hoping to ease into something like an impala or um or a springback or something like that but you know, when, when opportunities in Africa present themselves, you want to take, you want to take them, you know, you don't want to wait until the last day. So yeah, very, very special moments. And you know, that, that was just uh, off the coast, about an hour off the coast of East London, uh, towards the, the car river. And man, what a hunt that was. It was really, really something special. And yeah, it was something that will live in my memories for a very, very long time. And I'm sure likewise with Jose. So then, uh, yeah, we moved on uh, down. We went up north into the Eastern Cape. Like I said, just outside Tarkestat, um, we were fortunate enough to hunt. Uh, we went there actually to go and have a look at the sable. And while we were going through the sable, you know, there were a couple of nice bulls that came up. Uh, every time we got onto them, they would just give us the ghost. Um, and we ran into this herd of buffalo and this one big buffalo bull the one that we shot actually stuck out for years and he said to me he said you know he would come back for that but like i mentioned to him on that very first morning with the kudu bull he said you know when opportunities in africa present themselves you take them you know so went back to the lodge had a bit of lunch um obviously calibered up uh, we definitely got the big big sticks out and uh yeah we headed out to to go and try luck on this cape buffalo and you know with with the conditions the way they were um very cold um windy we didn't expect them to move much so we went straight back to where they were straight after lunch uh, we just barely touched our food and we were out again and uh <clears throat> we saw the buffalo moving down into a dried out riverbed which was fun you know the 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 whole stalk was was really really fun because we stayed above them and uh years there Yet again, you know, I've I've hunted plenty, plenty of buffalo. Um, I think my 2021 season was the most I've ever shot. I think it was over 55 buffalo. Um, so yeah, you know, I've I've hunted a lot. I've seen a lot. But Jose, really, I mean, once again, you got you guys got to remember this is the first time he's on, you know, on South African soil, and he goes down and slams it to the ground after three brilliant shots. I mean, I couldn't have even placed them better. And man, <laughs> with their celebrations on. And once again, Scully's came to the party, you know, um, delivering a unique uh, 3D printed Scully buffalo. He loved that. Um, it's a great touch that Rotunda Safaris have incorporated as well. Um, you know, it's just special moments like that that he gets to take back to Spain and captivate and really entertain his friends and family with, with something so long, you know. You know, his photos say tell a wonderful story but actually holding something physical in your hand it's a whole new experience which is awesome it's it's wonderful and uh yeah like i said scullies have really um hit the nail on the head when it came to that and then uh yeah another unique part of the safari was definitely the order the barber sheep um you know i've, I've hunted barber sheep in these mountains for some time now um 
but yeah, we headed out early, early morning. I mean, it was five o'clock in the morning. It's still dark until about seven now that winter's uh, crawled in. And, you know, we headed up into the Zimbi mountain range. Uh, they call it the Zimbi mountain range, but it's just below the Stormberg. Um, and the reason for that is Tata Zimbi, he was a, a chief in the area uh, during one of the wars. Uh, I think it might have been the Boer War when they were setting up camps and and stuff like that. Um, no, not camps, ambush uh, pods along the railway section uh, in the Stormberg uh, that the Afrikaners were actually going to ambush. No, sorry, other way around. The English were actually going to uh, ambush the Afrikaner railway system. And Tata Zimbi was involved with the whole setup, um, looking after cattle. Uh, the British used to negotiate with him. And yeah, it was was such a unique experience to really dive into the history of that. Um, but ultimately, he succumbed to a massive flood right at the in at the top of these two mountain peaks in the middle of the basin. There, there's like this dam with a strong uh, overflowing riverbed, <clears throat> and um, yeah, during during the one spring season, there was just an abundance of rain, and it actually flooded down. And while they were in that uh, saddle in in between the two mountains, that looking after these cattle and stuff, it's he drowned and and thanks to the Kosa culture and stuff like that, when when um, when an individual passes away through water or anything like that, they do tend, in, in a lot of um, circumstances, they do tend to bury them there uh, where the incident happened. So that was really, really special, diving into the whole history um, of how it got its name. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just wonderful to see, and it really is a special area. Um, so anyway, uh, these barber sheep are all wild there. Um, story has it, I, I don't know how true it is, but story has it that they actually, uh, the local game reserve in Starkstrom, actually, Otsawana, uh, one of the two, had an abundance of these sheep. Uh, they even had Himalayan tar at one stage. Um, apparently, according to reports, I don't have uh, physical evidence of this. But anyway, and when these reserves kind of when when the ANC government took over and these reserves kind of lost their maintenance and, and went derelict the fences were all cut and obviously you know poaching and all that sort of stuff happened um, these animals escaped and, and obviously found refuge in these in these high mountain peaks because that's what they that's their conditions you know so they've been living up there rent free for some time now and really have grown to a massive massive herd I must have counted about 80 to 100 uh, barber sheep up there and really some very very special trophies uh, nice big old uh, rams up there um, with the manes hanging down to the ground it, it was something very unique to see i've hunted them once or twice up there in that range um but yeah again jose tough conditions wind was wind wasn't pumping but it was blowing significantly uh, we weren't going to get any closer. Um, then I think it was like 300 yards. I can't quite remember. And Jose just sat down, knuckled in. I mean, we were belly crawling along the the face, uh, along the plateau. And uh, he just settle, settled in and put the crossways exactly where I said. I just said, aim in front of the main. And he did. And he sank it with one shot. Very, very special hunt. And uh, yeah, it's something that I would... I'd hold him my memory bank for a very, very long time, and I'm sure Jose will, will do the same. So, guys, that's enough of me waffling off on uh, 
on my past hunt. It's just nice to recap on the whole thing because, uh, yeah, like I said, it was such a unique way of doing a safari um, and such a very, very special um, safari it was, you know. So, yeah. Um, but getting into the topic that I wanted to discuss today was um, my daughter, Just <clears throat> she's four years old. I took her out to shoot at a target for the very first time a couple of weeks ago. And it, it, you know, got me asking the question, when is the correct time for a youngster to come out and experience Africa? Ne never alone, you know, locals, you guys will know exactly, you know, when your child is ready, the, how many times they, they shoot. But it's different when you're a foreigner bringing out a kid um, to South Africa and hoping that they enjoy the experience. And the reason why I brought this topic up is because a couple of podcasts ago, I mentioned that I love hunting with family. Um, I've been very, very fortunate enough to see kids from the age of four right up to 18 years old um, take their very first African animal, some of them taking their first animal in life. Um, so the experience for me has been across the board, and I've loved every single minute of it. And it brought out a unique question um, on when is the when is the right age for kids like this to come out and experience South Africa? Well, firstly, you know, I've always I've always said that traveling it inherits such a great amount of knowledge into your kids. Um, but being a traveler myself and being being fortunate enough to travel from about the age of four, um, we went with my grandmother up to. Um, to the states we went actually to disneyland and stuff and I can, I can remember every single experience that i had up there um you know and then a few years later doing it again with my mom and my brother um you know being able to travel through motocross up to different parts of africa um going to europe so you know traveling in a whole i think is always a great way no matter how old your kid is um obviously you know i would recommend probably about from four and upwards it's just there is some some of the things that get to hang in the balance and hang in um their memory bank for a much longer time <clears throat> one thing we do need to remember when it comes down to hunting is that we need to educate our kids about conservation first because there's a lot of things that can happen uh, in the early parts of, of a safari or in the early parts of a kid's life when it comes to hunting. And that's, you know, I know the Americans do it really, really well where um, where they will actually go out to shoot their deer. Whether they shoot the deer out of a stand, uh, a blind, walking stalk, whatever, the whole process of it is very, very unique because they actually take their kid out <clears throat> and the Americans can't just pull up a pick up and and load it on the back you know they've actually got to physically go out there you know some of them debone on site or some of them cut it up into pieces but it's a whole it's a whole day's experience and i think sometimes we lose that in south africa because it's too easy for us to pull the pickup up load it on the back take it out to the skinning shed and let the trackers do the work really embrace that side of things when it comes down to hunting so to answer the question uh, i think any time from four years onwards is a great way um, to get your kids introduced into hunting and if you don't feel confident enough for them to shoot a rifle take them out with you and go out there and do the whole process uh, shoot the animal whether it be a blessed back or a springback 
gut it out in the felt, you know, really get involved, skin it, cut its head off, um, you know, maybe even do a, a bit of deboning out there, maybe cut off, you know, a single back strap or something like that. And really, you know, <clears throat> I'll never forget my first fish I ever caught with my dad. Uh, it was a bream, a bluefish uh, down in Mazeppa Bay. And my dad made a fire there and then on the rocks. Uh, we gutted the fish and we cooked the fish there and then and we ate it. Because it, at some sort of point, you you know, you need to, your your obligation as a hunter, you need to educate the future of, of this industry um, and educate them in the correct way. And I feel them understanding why we do what we do, not only part of conservation, but also to put healthy, clean, nutritional food on your table for a better life and a better lifestyle is probably one of the most unique things you can do so you know i'm not saying go and cut the backstrap out and cook it there in the bush i mean you can do that that is a great way of of starting things off but cut the backstrap out take it home that night and you know cook it on the bra and really get involved in the whole um understanding and why your kid needs to understand that sort of thing because i just feel that it's an easier transition once they do get to hold their rifle in their hand or if they did already that their, their understanding of the whole thing is a lot better and, and more clearer because, you know, I do see it often that kids, especially in South Africa, get out there and, get, and they just get trigger happy and they just want to shoot everything and anything, uh, the biggest of everything, and not really take into account of their responsibilities. And, yeah, once again, um, I could just be waffling off and really just... Um, I might be putting my foot into it. But at the end of the day, I've seen this. I've seen this happen throughout the industry, both through local and international side of things. And I just feel that this is our best opportunity now for youngsters to really get involved and really embrace the whole hunting side of things. Um, but as well, in, in the same breath, just um, really understand why we do it. I mean, there was it was a special time for me at Huntex um, where somebody approached me and asked why why don't trees and have kids get i mean that's that's all another discussion on its own but i asked him what's what's the reason behind it i mean why not just wear normal khaki pants or something like that and he said no because you know they really want to embrace the whole ideology of, of hunting and he said you know he he wants his kids to carry their own knives because they'll gut their own animals and i mean these kids are about four five six years old and really enthusiastic boys um, about the industry, about hunting, you know, asking so many questions about taxidermy and all these sort of things. And, you know, that really made my heart happy that hunting is in such good hands, especially with fathers like that, really wanting to educate their kids from such a young age on why we're we doing this sort of thing. And, and it does mean getting hands dirty and all that sort of stuff. And I think not only from, from hunting and a conservation point of view, it also, it, it, it leans into a bonding um, practice it's it's a very it, there's something very um what's the word i'm looking for but it's there's something very rewarding about bonding with your kid over something that you're passionate about but you also need to make them aware why your passion is and by doing things like this is such a such a unique way it's it's, it's a great bonding experience and i think every hunting season there should be opportunities where you get to take your kids out and if they aren't hunters and if it's not something that they 
are fathomed about or, or not something they're really into, don't push it, don't force it. But really just bring them on with the experience, whether you take one day off and go and do a bit of photography or sightseeing or anything like that. Um, it really just, it helps with the whole process and it makes life a whole lot easier. And once again, guys, I'm not saying that this is going to work for everyone. Um, I'm honestly just saying from my first-hand experience, been fortunate enough to hunt with many, 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 many families and uh, seen it uh, firsthand. And of course, you know, the South African tradition and it's it's one that's that's always very, very special to see how many individuals, professional hunters, outfitters, hunters do this tradition and that's the blooding you know take your kid out put the blood on the face make him eat the liver uh, and don't don't get soft on that tradition because it's something very very special it's unique i don't i hardly see anything of, of that sort being done um anywhere else in the world and it's a very very special moment it's a very very unique moment you know and uh, yeah, you know, those those are the things that you hold on for the rest of your life. I remember my first blooding. Uh, I remember when I did my first blooding for a family. And, you know, that's, it's special. It's special. It sits in my memory bank for, for many, many years, you know. So hold on to those opportunities. Um, if you guys haven't yet, I would encourage you to, to listen to the podcast with Sue Tidwell. Um, she was a non-hunter that, that came out to South Africa, open-minded, or not South Africa, sorry, Africa-like, open-minded about the experiences and the overwhelming experiences that she might have. And that's kind of what we need to base our whole ideology um, of, you know, first-time hunters on, you know, educating people. Stop, you know, cut the fruits off of the tree, you know, stop, educate them about the hoopoo. Um, my daughter, when we go to school every morning and we pull out of the driveway and there's a hoopoo, she knows exactly what it is. You know, uh, the other day we saw a linear falcon. She knew what that was, you know. And as a father, that makes me ever so proud, you know. And I, like I said, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I took her out for her. We were, there's there's a nice old, old, old Impala Ram. He's got no size. His genetics are poor, but he's, he's ancient, um, he's so old he's actually chewing skew at the moment because uh, i'm sure his teeth are stuffed um but we've been seeing this now for some time and he hangs around the house yeah and i really thought that this was a great opportunity for my daughter to get involved but i decided that you know obviously you, you're gonna have to you know there's gonna be points where they're gonna be gun shy and certain situations like that so i thought well let's take her out you know let's try and get her used to the rifles as much as possible she's four years old and she did i mean she shot like an absolute champion and it's, it's something about girls that i just feel like they're just so natural in front of a trigger and i don't know why they're just calm collective although they know that this thing that they're holding in their arms could possibly kick them off their feet um there's just such a unique calmness to them when they when they, um, you know, when they got a target or an animal in sight. And I've seen this across the board. And uh, yeah, she shot like an absolute champion. She shot one shot. And I, <laughs> I think my 243 had a bit too much oomph in it for her. 
Um, but it's an introduction and it hasn't shied her away from her being enthusiastic about the whole process. And um, yeah, it's been something very, very special. We hunted in parlor the other day. You'll see it on my next YouTube um, channel. Uh, we hunted in Impala the other day. I bought half of it home. Half of it was going to be processed. Um, I bought half of it home because I decided I was going to do a bit of the processing. Yeah. And she got involved. You know, she made an absolute hack of the one piece of meat. But, you know, it was just so cool to see her enthusiasm in my passion. And hopefully one day trickle down to her passion. And it made, it made my heart at ease knowing that, you know, it's possibly that... You know, this could be something that we could do as a bonding experience in the future. So, yeah, very, very special moments. And uh, I look forward to seeing what the future holds for this for this industry. And, and from what I've seen so far, I think we're in good hands. Really, I do. Um, yeah, guys, so that's basically it. Again, Once again, these are all my personal opinions and personal views and experiences that I've had. So, you know, I'm not saying that's what you need to do. It's just a suggestion. A different way of looking into things um, or maybe if you are planning to take your kid out hopefully this helped you guys out um, as far as bringing them out to South Africa once I said once again I'll just say you're not going to be doing them any harm with allowing them to travel whether they're going to hunt or not it's it's always going to be beneficial and make sure that your alpha and hunter understand or ph understand that and do as much of the educational stuff as they possibly can uh, no it's not always easy on on time limits but uh you know it's it's moments in 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 life that you hold on forever you know you can always come back once africa's in your blood you always keep coming back um yeah guys so that's it for this episode uh i'm looking forward i'm gonna sit now the whole week and and do a couple more podcasts i'm really really excited about it we've got some fantastic topics coming up um as well, i've been trying to get a couple of guests on online uh, but of course um, it's always challenging with the load shedding schedules and stuff like that so yeah do apologize but we are trying our level best um, i would much appreciate it if you guys head along to my youtube channel the ph journals um, and go and have a look at a couple of my episodes over there the the channel's growing really really nicely um, and yeah just thanks so much to everyone that has supported me thus far um, or catch me on any one of my social media platforms. There is a bit of a confusion around the Instagram side of things. The PH Journals is my official page. Um, PH Journals, I just took that page over as I felt that um, I didn't want anyone to inherit the name. So I just took that one over. I am trying to keep it active as much as possible. But yeah, the official one is The PH Journals. Um, yeah and I, I would appreciate like share follow um yeah and then just a big shout out to all the men out there uh, june is men's mental health awareness month and of course my history as far as mental health is concerned um it's a very very special month for me and um yeah to all my men out there guys remember one thing asking for help is not a sign of of weakness but a sign that you're willing to give up Sorry, let me say that again. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness, but a sign that you are not willing to give up. So, for the month of June, if you guys ever need any conversation or anything you want to discuss, hit me up. You guys know where to find me now. And um, yeah, look forward to the next couple of discussions we have.
For myself, the whole PH Journals team, if you are, happy hunting. Until then, stay safe, stay blessed, stay humble. We'll catch up with you guys soon. The Journal is brought to you by Treason. Don't just blend, become. Splitting Image Taxidermy. Worth remembering. Maxis Tires. Covering PHs over any terrain. Magnum Archery. Scullies. The little things are what makes life wonderful. Vanandi Blends. Changing the game. FFS Outdoor. Versatile gear for any situation. PH Toolbox. Helping you make your own adventure.